0: Welcome. I'm Cliff Hedges. This is Pastor Cliff's Notes. It's the podcast where we're studying the Bible. We're working our way through the book of 1 Thessalonians. Today is episode 375. We're looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 23 through 28. Let's read our passage. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us also. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this letter be read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Well this is the end of 1 Thessalonians. This is Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica during the second missionary journey. And it's a fairly brief passage here and it just seems like standard closing things, uh, basically saying love and kisses Paul. But it's more than that and as he closes out his letter, let's look at it and see what we could learn. First 23, he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. The God of peace. We'd seen peace earlier. Remember, the, their understanding of peace is not absence of conflict. It's a state of well-being. Probably the best way to understand this is the only well-being that only God can provide. So he's the God of peace. The God who provides this well-being. And well-being doesn't mean everything's all wonderful and roses. It means you're in a state of peace with God. And that's the best place to be is in this state of peace with God. And his benediction here is now, may this God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And we looked at sanctify a few episodes back where Paul had a lot to say about sanctification. That was what he was challenging the Thessalonians to focus on is their sanctification. As he talked about the Lord's coming, one of their questions was, What about those who died when the Lord returns? Is is it too late for them? And he says, No, they will be resurrected. But then he, it was a very brief segment on that. But then he focused more on those who were still alive, what they should be doing to prepare for the coming of the Lord. And sanctification was the key. And I gave a definition of sanctification as essentially growing in holiness, growing in a relationship with God. And that's what sanctification is. And he, in his benediction here, asks that this God of peace would sanctify you completely. And he continues, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's focusing on the coming of the Lord. And the idea is to encourage them to be prepared for the coming of the Lord. That Don't worry about those who've died before the Lord returns. They'll be fine. They'll be resurrected. But for those of us who are still living, preparing for the coming of the Lord, we need to be focused on our sanctification. And that includes being kept sound and blameless, which we depend on the Lord for that. But he makes this comment about May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound. Now, he's not providing a lesson here on the nature of people and how we're put together, the anthropology, as they would say. He, he's talking about just the wholeness, all of you, spirit, soul, and body. Within the uh, people who argue about these things, there's the, the what's called the trichotinous view and the dichotinous view. The dichotomous di just means two, means there's a material portion of us and an immaterial portion of us. The material portion is the physical body, the immaterial be soul or spirit, and and they're basically interchangeable. So it's two parts. The trichotomists say, No, there's three parts body, soul, and spirit. And we say, Okay, Paul's a trichotomist. Well, maybe, maybe not, because in 1 Corinthians 7, he talks about body and spirit. So there it looks like he's a dichotomist. And what do you do with Jesus and the, the Gospels, where he talks about heart, soul, mind, and strength? There's four parts there. I don't think any of these are providing a lesson on how many parts there are. The issue is just speaking of the wholeness, all of you. So when Jesus says heart, soul, mind, and strength, he means everything about you. I think with Paul here, he's not providing a lesson on, well, there's three components which make up people. You have your body, your spirit, and your soul. He's just saying the wholeness of all of you. So which is correct. Tricotinus, And it depends on how you look at it. You can make an argument either way, and either way can be proved because you can find alternate passages in the Bible that that give a, a, a conflicting statement there. The point being is, I don't think the whole point is to try and figure out how many pieces there are, because we are whole. We are all together. We are, just the definition of the words, the, the spirit. Soul is just the living force, and the body is the physical part. Spirit is the, the fact that we are, are spiritual beings. Now, do you know which of, how much overlap is there? It's hard to say. So the point here, don't get caught up in trying to say, oh, this says there are three pieces. He's just referring to the wholeness of the people of Thessalonica. And his goal or his prayer is that they would be sanctified completely in a matter of wholeness would be kept sound and blameless. In verse 24, he says, he who calls you is faithful. He will do it. This is key. It's not up to us to sanctify ourselves. We are sanctified by God. Now, he calls on us to cooperate with him and certain things we can do to put us in a better position for the Lord to work on our sanctification. That is being in the word of God, being in prayer, being in fellowship with other believers, being engaged in ministry. Those are all things that will work to facilitate our sanctification, but it's God himself who does the sanctifying. Then verse 25 he says, brothers and sisters, pray for us also. Well, he says he is praying for them, and this benediction he just had was essentially a prayer that God would sanctify them and make them whole and keep them sound and blameless. He asks, please pray for us also. Then verse 26 says, Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. This is similar to language Peter uses in his letter. He talks about the kiss of love. And I think he's just saying, give each other a brotherly, sisterly kiss. Hello. It isn't meant to be anything uh, that became formalized later down the road as a specific part of a, a worship service. Don't try to make this say any more than it's just saying. Just greet each other with a holy kiss, with a friendly kiss. Yeah, it'd be like saying, greet each other with a hearty handshake. Verse 27, he says, I charge you by the Lord that this letter be read to all the brothers and sisters. he's challenging them. Make sure all the people at the church at Thessalonica hear this. And then a final benediction, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Well, this is Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians. Paul was traveling on the second missionary journey with Silas and Timothy and they had crossed from Asia to Europe, gone to Philippi, got arrested, were in the Philippian jail, were miraculously released through divine intervention. The Philippian jailer and his family came to Christ, but they were asked to leave by the city officials, so they went to Thessalonica. But there was a lot of persecution and uproar, and they had to leave Thessalonica. They traveled down to Berea, then Athens, and that's where Paul sent Timothy back to Thessalonica. Then Paul traveled over to Corinth, and Timothy's rejoined Paul there. And that's the occasion for sending this letter, based on the report that Timothy has brought about what's going on in Thessalonica. So Paul hasn't been away from Thessalonica that long. We're not getting a real tight timeline, but it's probably just a matter of weeks or a few months since Paul was actually there. But what he's done is, based on Timothy's report, he's provided a defense for himself against the slanderous accusations that the people persecuting the Christians in Thessalonica are levying against Paul. And he's challenging them to make judgments based on their own understanding of what actually happened. He gives them commendation about their faith that they are actually staying true to the faith. He answers some questions. He deals with their their concern about those who have died before the Lord returns, and he gives them hope of resurrection for all followers of Christ. Then he encourages sanctification for those of you who are living, though because the Lord is returning work on your sanctification cooperate with God in your sanctification. And he challenges them about community that based upon the practical challenges he gives them on how to live as followers of Christ, seems like a lot of it is focused on the idea of being the Christian community. So overall, he's not dealing with a uh, some kind of schism in the church. He's not dealing with some kind of crazy doctrinal errors that they're dealing with and heresy. He hadn't been away from them that long, but he is reaching out to them because he cares about them. They're a young church that they just founded not that long ago, and he's concerned about their growth and development and sanctification. Now, Paul will remain in Corinth for 18 months, and during that time, he'll send another letter, Second Thessalonians. Don't know the time frame. But that's what we'll begin next time. So thanks for joining me. Join me again next time as we start looking at 2 Thessalonians.